This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Holland Wilcox's cyber podcast season, CyberZone. I am Eden Winnicker, a partner and head of cyber at Holland Wilcox. For episode one, I'm thrilled to be joined by Michael Parent, a client director and cyber insurance practice leader from leading global risk advisor, Aon. Michael, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thanks very much, Eden. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. The focus of today's episode was going to be solely about whether cyber insurance is getting a bad rap. And to explore that question, we were going to look at a recent federal court decision, Chubb and Inchcape. But before doing that, it would be remiss of me not to bring up the Optus cyber breach, which is dominating the Australian news cycle at the moment. Michael, what is your take on the Optus breach? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Unfortunately, one that's probably going to cause a lot of pain to a lot of people, both insurance companies as well as individuals and, and the like. So it is one that we will be keeping a pretty close eye on. It is the first real big test that Australia's had in insofar as a data breach, pure data breach, since the the OIC took powers in, in 2018. So it's it's one that will cause some ripples. We've already seen a lot of a lot of pushes and, and questions being raised around regulatory changes and legislative changes, uh, things that may or may not be pushed through. And and potentially it could lead to a, a deteriorating claims environment here in Australia if, if that sort of liability uh, regime is opened up, as some have been alluded to, to the GDPR regimes and the CCPA regimes. Um, that might change some of the insurer's attitude as to how they underwrite and how they charge for it. That's not to say I think it would cause massive, massive insurance changes, but rather, I think it will realign some expectations, which won't necessarily be for the individual company's benefit immediately upfront, i.e. the changes, further changes in premiums and retentions. Um, so one to, to watch quite interestingly, I think, over the course of the next few years. Yeah, thanks, thanks for those comments, Michael. And, and I'd add that I think it's really important to remember here that both Optus and its customers are victims of a criminal act. Now, the, 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 the recent news cycle, and this is a quickly evolving uh, breach, but the, the the recent news cycle is suggesting that the criminals now withdrawn the ransom demand. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, you know, this this one for me is a real reminder to all Australian businesses that cyber attacks can impact anyone. And if I'm a director of a company in Australia, I am asking my board uh, what more can be done to improve our company's cyber resilience, uh, and and what we need to do to to you know, mitigate the impact if a cyber incident occurs. And obviously, you know, cyber insurance is a real important part of a company's overall cyber risk appetite. I'm also having real discussions with, um, you know, with my company around the data that we collect, whether we have a data retention plan, whether all data needs to be held online or whether we can actually remove some data offline and keep it archived. That to me is going to be a real key takeaway. Um, I'm afraid that there's a lot more that companies in Australia can do to mitigate the risks that we're facing. Uh, and I think the Optus attack will potentially speed up the process of Australian companies trying to improve their security posture. Um, I do think we're going to see an amendment to the Privacy Act to uh, mirror the GDPR penalty regime, something that has been uh, long predicted and, and the subject of much discussion 
uh, in the privacy circles within Australia. And I think if we are to see the maximum penalty increase to 10% of annual domestic revenue uh, as the amount that the OAIC can um, seek to impose, then um, I expect that, that a lot of companies will really start moving quickly when it comes to enhancing their cybersecurity posture and, and, and probably looking to purchase cyber insurance as well. And sort of on that topic, you know, Michael, have you started having conversations? I know this is really sort of brand new, but is Optus coming up now in your discussions? Do you see this attack leading to more companies taking out cyber insurance? Yeah, I, I think it will. Um, and I think, again, unfortunately, um, it's happening here locally. But I think it will also not only raise the awareness to organisations to give serious consideration to this insurance class, but I think it will also give a lot of organisations the impetus to say, do we have the right limit? Have we gone about this in the right fashion? And there's an extremely large conversation that we can have there, one that we do have now on a pretty frequent basis with clients and have been for some time. Rightly or wrongly, uh, the focus has been primarily around cybersecurity and the impacts on business interruption, which we've all known have been devastating. Um, but that was the slow evolution of organizations understanding that these events from a business interruption perspective can be catastrophic. We never took, say, the data breach off the table, but it certainly paled in comparison. Now, um, unfortunately, we we can bring the pure data breach, real the real consequences of a pure data breach, right back under the microscope. I will be surprised to see that organisations don't act really quickly. Uh, we are already fielding a number of questions from organisations saying, are we similarly insured to what this organisation is suffering? Um, <clears throat> so we are seeing some pretty big changes right now. And the conversation is only going to get bigger and, and harder. Um, the, the major issue we've seen is this slow evolution of silent cyber, this understanding of silent cyber, which for, for the uninitiated is cyber risk that permeates across multiple lines of insurance. It's a conversation I've personally been having now for bordering 10 years, um, but the market is now driving an absolute wedge between what they do want to cover from a cyber risk perspective under non-cyber insurance policies. And it is causing organizations to sit down and pay attention. Now, this is something that was already happening, um, which I'm really pleased to see. But now in the light of this current incident, this current attack, it will be an absolute critical thing for directors to undertake um, on behalf of the business. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with all of those comments. Um, now, let's move the discussion to uh, why we originally set up this podcast, uh, which was to discuss the federal court case of Inchape and Chubb. Um, obviously, given um, the the developments of the last week, um, you know, discussing Optus was, was I think, really important. But um, why we wanted to talk about this case was that. Um, you know, in my view, there's been a lot of misreporting and misunderstanding about the case, um, and it's caused frustration for the cyber insurance market. And I wanted to take this opportunity to talk to you and to set the record straight. Uh, and so for those who are unfamiliar with the Inchcape and Chubb case, let me set out some high level details. The two parties in the case are the first is the insured Inchcape, who is a UK headquartered automotive distribution, retail and logistics business. Uh, and the other party is Chubb Insurance Australia, a leading insurer who provides a wide range of insurance products to the Australian market, including cyber. 
So the background to the case is that Inchicape was impacted by a ransomware incident, which included the encryption of data, the deletion of backups, the installation of malware, exfiltration of data from a shared drive, and publishing of exfiltrated data on the dark web. These are not uncommon things to have occurred after a ransomware incident. Now, unfortunately for many Australian businesses, um, they, they've been impacted by ransomware incidents and the Australian Cybersecurity Centre reported an increase of 15% more ransomware attacks during the 2021 financial year compared to the prior year. Not only that, in, in the period, on average, um, around 1.5 ransomware attacks were reported to the ACSC every day. So this is a real um, uh, significant type of attack impacting Australian businesses. And it's important to keep in mind that this reporting is not mandatory. So the real number of ransomware incidents is likely a lot higher than what the ACSC is seeing. Now, coming back to the current case, Inchicape's response to the ransomware attack uh, required it to incur numerous costs. Again, these are fairly standard costs that are incurred in responding to a ransomware incident. And they included investigating and containing the attack, uh, incurring costs to do with data recovery, hardware needed to be replaced, and so costs were incurred there. And because systems were down, additional staff needed to be engaged to manually process orders. Uh, Inchcape ultimately made a claim to Chubb for the costs incurred, and that totaled $2.3 million. Chubb denied the claim and it resulted in litigation, which Chubb was largely successful in defending on most issues. Now that, that's under appeal, um, but, but for now, Chubb was largely successful uh, in defending the case on most issues. So Michael, I guess my question for you is, you know, what type of policy should be covering uh, ransomware exposure and, and what policy did Inchcape seek coverage under? Yeah, so let, let's tackle that last part first, being uh, the policy that they sought coverage under, which was a financial institution's um, electronic and computer crime policy. So um, as the name alludes to a crime policy, um, really important to stipulate that that is not a cyber policy. It certainly does bring up the comment that I made few moments ago in regards to silent cyber so my heart does go out to many organizations here it's a it's an extremely complex topic but it's really really important for obvious reasons now that organizations sit down understand where their policies are forget what has been in the past because the world is getting clearer and crisper on what they do want to cover and that what they do not want to cover um, from a cyber risk perspective and it is emergingly clear that a cyber policy is what insurers expect uh, to be in place in order to cover a cyber event. And to be very clear on this, um, it is definitely a ransomware attack is falls well within the orbit of a cyber policy. Uh, the costs that you've, or the, the incidents that, that you've um, mentioned earlier are mostly covered under cyber policies as it is. Um, I would expect barring some specific issues or, or conditions in, in the policy um, that it would respond to almost all of those items with very little questions. Um, but look, there, again, covering off on that silent cyber issue, some crime policies are designed to cover some of the losses that stem from cyber incidents, like such as the fraud um, that's involved with these sorts of issues. So it is a really good example of social engineering fraud um, or invoice fraud. So those sorts of things have historically crisscrossed between both insurance policies being a crime policy and a cyber policy. 
Um, and it will probably stay that same sort of situation for some time, certainly within, say, the, the SME to mid-market space, where um, the cyber policies are a little bit closer to a broader policy response, giving some coverage for crime, giving some broader coverages. But by and large, I would always tread cautiously around what you want your policy to respond to. Some of the old-fashioned invoice frauds are exactly what should be covered under a crime policy. But the way in which they're now conducted may potentially be covered under a, a cyber policy. So which policy do you anticipate it falling under? Sit down with your broker, make sure you're all on the same page, that your intent is X and, and the broker's advice is Y, and that they do indeed align, and then proceed again with caution. But again, mapping those risks, the scenarios and the risks to your insurance policies, I think is beyond critical in this current world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about the importance of having a good broker like yourself to who, who understands the policies, who understands the risks, who who is having conversations with the customer, with the client, with the company about what they want covered and for them to understand exactly where that cost uh, or loss might sit. Um, I mean, here it's, it's, it's simple. Inchcape did not have a cyber policy. And so facing invoices totaling 2.3 million, uh, and without a cyber policy, they've tried to shoehorn it under a crime policy. That's what's happened here. Um, you know, uh, cyber policies generally cover the exact type of costs that Inchcape incurred, incident response costs, forensic investigation and containment costs, data restoration costs, you know, bringing in staff if needed, that they are the typical costs that are covered under a cyber policy. So, um, you know, you, you feel for a company like like Inchcape in this case, where they've, you know, unfortunately been the victim of a crime, um, but unfortunately they didn't have a cyber policy. If they did, I expect that the costs that were claimed would more than likely have been covered under that cyber policy. So I guess, um, you know, in your opinion, why is there confusion about this matter? Why, why are customers, you know, pointing to this case and saying, see, cyber doesn't pay. Yeah, um, and, and this, isn't, this isn't new, this isn't unique. Uh, unfortunately, for the last 15 odd years, I've been doing cyber insurance and every time um, an article would get published, me and my team, my broader team, global team, um, would review those articles to say, what was the issue here? What was the question? And, and why was there a dispute or a decline of coverage? Um, and inevitably, the is confusion um, and a general misunderstanding around what is supposed to respond and, and what is not supposed to respond to certain incidents. And it's no different about this particular matter. Um, and I've, I've now spoken to numerous clients on this, some quite sophisticated and some less sophisticated. Um, all are curious, all are concerned that their cyber policy will respond to this. And the, the immediate response is, yes, it's a ransomware attack, a cyber policy should respond. So I suspect there's a, a lot of confusion um, around the, the people um, that are being impacted by this. Um, again, a very knee-jerk reaction to, I'm hearing some publications which say cyber insurance don't respond, am I covered? Um, it's not necessarily a, an issue when it comes to ransomwares, but have you indeed got your cyber policy in place? Um, and I know I've tried to emphasize that point during uh, many conversations over the last few weeks and indeed probably months now, um, considering that these this is not the first time a cyber policy has been given inappropriate media attention. So practically, I think a lot of people are reading the headlines uh, and, and rightly so, the headlines, that's the truth source um, and seeing that the, uh, the, the loss is not paid and it's a sizable amount um, and the ransomware attack. And now there's, there's the um, unfortunately the insurer who's bearing some pretty negative press, 
But what people are not talking about is whether it should be claimed under this particular policy or a standalone cyber policy. That's, I think, a real failing of, of the media publications at this point in time. They need to dig into these scenarios more and give a really clear and present position as to where the market stands. Couldn't agree more. I mean, that's the headlines that I've seen, sort of, you know, $2.3 million cyber claim rejected by insurer. It it, it just doesn't tell the story. It's just, this isn't a claim under a cyber policy. And and I think cyber insurance has been getting a bad rap on the back of this decision as it has for other reasons, um, uh, unfairly, uh, in my opinion. I mean, personally, having been involved in, in, in literally hundreds of cyber insurance matters, you know, I've seen firsthand the way that cyber insurance can save companies or help them through the hardest time. So it is disappointing from my perspective when you see headlines misreporting the benefits that come from cyber policies. I mean, for me, the key takeaway that companies should take from the case are if you want cover for cyber and cyber risks, get a standalone cyber policy. And the way to do that is to speak to yourself. Um, and, and understand what, what what's covered under that policy. And, and companies shouldn't rely on crime or other insurance policies, that silent cyber that you're talking about, to pick up losses that arise from cyber events. That to me is a really key takeaway. So I guess just um, mo- moving the conversation forward, I mean, w- w- in, in light of Optus in particular, I think there's gonna be a real focus now on um, how organizations can better understand and protect and prepare themselves for the types of risks that they face. So you know, what, what are you seeing? What do you discuss with your, your customers when, when those questions come up? Really good, and I hope you're sitting down for this because we can chat on this for the next 20 minutes. So um, grab yourself a coffee. But in, in you know, the short version is, I always look at this from the point of view is the world that we now live in is fundamentally different to the world that we lived in 20 years ago from an organization perspective. Organizations now critically rely on intangible assets within the company. And if you boil it down to cyber is is protecting your intangible assets, data and computer assets. So understanding this world, we all as a company, as a group, as an industry, as an economy rely on these intangible assets. If you've not sat down and mapped out what your intangible assets mean to you and the criticality of those assets to you, it's something to sit down and do urgently. So what would a ransomware attack be to your organization? Park the cost side component, just from the function perspective, what would that be? Then you can mesh, and this is what we do quite often, we mesh that against what the financial impacts are. And then we do mesh that against existing insurance programs, whether a cyber policy is in place or not. And then we can give a really clear advice to clients to say, this scenario that you're quite concerned about now is going to have these impacts to you. And this is where your current solutions, your current insurance solutions fit against that scenario. And it's a really easy sort of quasi-traffic light approach to say we are or we are not covered or there's ambiguity as to whether we're covered. And I stress the point, ambiguity is becoming a redundant comment in insurance when it comes to cyber risk. It's becoming very clear. So increasingly, you're going to have red and green as to are we covered or are we not covered? And from there, you can quite literally sit down and say, this new risk is impacting existing assets and potentially new assets. It has these financial implications to us. Do my insurance solutions now align to that? Can I get insurance for this? Now, Eden, you mentioned earlier, cyber risk and cyber insurance, they are very closely related, but there are things that fall in between the gaps. A process like this will educate an organization, say, I can rely on insurance to do this, 
I can push some insurance policies to respond to certain aspects of this loss. But now, really importantly, something that, that organizations have done forever when it comes to tangible assets, you're turning the lens on the intangible to say, well, where are we covered and where are we not covered? And what is uninsurable in the global world um, that we operate within? And again, you can use the analogy, it, it, we all know how much it roughly costs to build a building now or, or to rebuild a building. And we know that fire sprinkler systems being put into a building will reduce the chances of, of serious fire damage down to virtually zero. So why have you got then a property policy covering you for fire damage when you know it's going to be controlled, yet you don't have the same focus on your intangible assets, specifically in this instance, cyber. It's really important that organizations, I believe, go through this process to understand just how important these assets are and start to turn the lens on the insurance solutions to, to adapt to that appropriately. Yeah, I think they're, they're, they're all really, really insightful comments there. I mean, for me, cyber insurance, really, the way I, I see it, it's, it's sort of, it's there as a last resort. You don't sort of go and get home and contents insurance and, and, and spend money on alarms and then leave your front door open. It's, it's, it's there to help you in case something goes wrong. I think that's the way to think of cyber insurance. You know, there are some other things I think that are worth mentioning, and that's, you know, there's an acceptance that you can't reduce your cyber risk to zero, but there are a lot of things that organizations can do to mitigate their risk based based on you know, the size and type of business that they're running. Uh, and I see it from sort of a, a whole risk landscape. So insurance is a really important part of it. So is having good IT controls and speaking with experts there as is bringing in the right sort of legal experts to, you know, help companies make sure that they're meeting their regulatory obligations, you know, working through simulated incidents. So, you know, I think companies should be sitting down and, um, you know, really running through things like, uh, you know, hypothesizing like the Optus breach happening to them and seeing how they would play it out. How would they deal with the communications with stakeholders? How would they deal with, you know, notifying a regulator? Those things are really important. You want to be prepared for the worst. And then that way, if something happens, you've got a playbook that you can rely on. And we work with customers all the time on helping them develop that playbook. Michael, thank you so, so much for your expert commentary. Um, I'm sure that our audience have found your insights helpful as they think about their cyber risk uh, and exposures. And that's all we have time for today. So really appreciate and, and thank everyone for listening. If anyone from the audience has any questions about anything that we've talked today or need assistance with other sort of cyber related services, including things like impact analysis, trying to quantify cyber risk, whether your insurance is up to date or fit for purpose, please feel free to reach out to the cyber team at Aon. And if anyone uh, wants to chat about cyber risk or how we help companies prepare for attacks, please reach out to the team from Hall & Wilcox. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm.